Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. All right, so this week we are starting again through the Torah portion cycle. I mean, technically we started again last week on Saturday night, but this week we're in the first portion of the book of Genesis. And what was impressed upon me this week was themes that are along the lines of this new year that we're in. Now, granted, we've been in the year 5784 for almost a month now, so it's, but it's still new. This, this year actually has 13 months because it's a, a leap year, so we still have 12 months to go. So I'm still technically kind of right it's at the beginning of the year. And, but the thing is, um, there's two things that are standing out to me in it. One is the decade that we're in of the 80s, and that's, Jared spoke about this a month ago, that the, the number or the letter in Gematria for 80 is pay, which represents the mouth. And so it represents the aspect of speaking forth and declaring things. And then this year specifically, since we're in 5784, the four represents the number Dalit, okay, which is a door. And in, in a lot of prophetic circles, people are talking about the open door, the open door that this year represents and the, the open doors that God is bringing and setting before us. And, and then when we couple this with this week's portion of Bereshit, where God creates the heavens and the earth, there's this aspect of speaking life, speaking life into new beginnings. And I want to read something. Well, actually, I'll start with this verse from Revelation 3, 8. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. So in Revelation, he's speaking about how an open door has been set before the congregation. And... And he's going to strengthen them so they can go through that door. Okay, but he's put the door before them and he's opened it up. He's made the way possible. And I'm going to read something that was shared on, on a website just about the coming year. And they, they say, The Lord is bringing monumental change across the earth and in your life. Some shifts will bring blessings while others reveal areas needing light. Do not hide from the Lord's refining work in this transition season. He uses all for good to recalibrate perspectives, expose hindrances, and call us to undivided devotion. The master craftsman is reshaping his vessels for a greater purpose. Say yes to being molded into Messiah's image. Yield to the potter's hands and be made new. Set your sights on the realm of renewal. It is a glorious season of awakening, revival, and outpouring. But we must first walk through the door of deeper surrender, alignment, and transformation. Do not fear the shaking and sifting the Lord is allowing during this transition season. He uses all for good to establish proper boundaries, expose mindsets that hinder, and call for undivided devotion. 
God is opening doors spiritually and empowering his people in this new era. There are kingdom doors that must be opened by force through prayer, decrees, and bold faith. God is granting his people keys, strategies, and access to places we have not experienced before. Do not shrink back, but move ahead in confident obedience to occupy the open doors. Now, when I read that, I see many parallels with respect to this week's portion from the aspect of not hiding from what the Lord is doing, right? Uh, There's a story of hiding in this first book. And the hiding often comes from a place of shame or even a place of knowing our lack, right? But God sees all that. He already knows all that. But he says, don't hide. Let me work in you and transform that which needs renewal. And he uses the master craftsman who molds us into his purposes. Even from our very creation, he knitted us together in our mother's womb, just as in the day with Adam. He took clay and made man. He formed him as it was his desire. And and right now, there's a lot of shaking going on in the world. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's war. There's rumors of war. There's wars been going on for a long time now, even apart from Israel. And this war, it's in the physical, but it's in the spiritual as well. It's not just one dimension. Uh, this week, uh, I saw some warning dreams. And one of the warning dreams I saw, um, I was told that a comet was coming or was going to pass by. And I went out and I looked. And when I looked into the sky, I could see into space and I could see the sky at the same time. And in space, I saw a cluster of objects and a billow of uh, dirt and cloud coming through it as though an ex- some, some kind of impact had happened, an explosion had occurred so that the dust was moving in a column and then billowing outward. And then I saw uh, from that a plane, a warplane, falling from the sky. So it was both, it was in both places, right? It's, it was in the heavens and it was in the physical realm, this, this chaos. So there's a battle that we can't see with our eyes. There's a battle we can see with our eyes. And both of the battles require our insight and our prayer, our intercession, so that the things of God can be brought forth according to his desire. Because, you know, sometimes we get into the attitude of, well, we know how, we know how the book ends. We know it's all going to come out fine. But there's a path between here and the end, and that path will be impacted by those who walk in the kingdom of God and those who partner with him, getting his vision and praying his vision into reality. Right? So we may look at the circumstances and have our heart turn to fear. That's not what God wants our heart to do. He doesn't want our heart to turn to fear. He wants our heart to turn to boldness in Him. A boldness in declaring what His Word says and what His plan is. 
So we're called to speak life in this time so that we will see the life come forth. He places an open door before us. Right? The open door for each of us may look different. The open door for our congregation may look like a different open door than what it is for someone else. But when he places a door, he says, I've, I've opened a door before you. It's not behind you. It's before you. Now we can stand there. We can say, wow, that's a nice door. Praise God. He opened the door. That's wonderful. Say it again. That's a beautiful door. Wonderful. Praise God for opening the door. We have to go through the door. We actually have to have the faith to go forward and move through the door into what God is opening for us to go into. So there's a call to go forward and a, a call to have faith to take hold of what God's revealing and what he's doing in each of our lives and then to actually speak it forth, to declare it, agreeing with God on what he's going to do so that it will manifest in this physical world. One of the scriptures that came to my mind was from Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. And it says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. And the way I thought about it, I know this verse, but the way I was thinking about it and just repeat it over and over was speak life in order that you may live. Now, that's not what the Hebrew says, right? It says choose life. But in my mind, it kept it over and over. Speak life that you and your offspring may live. And it's tie, even tied to Proverbs 18:21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life is in the power of the tongue. So when he says choose life over death, and we recognize that death and life are in the power of the tongue, then we need to align our words to match up with life so that we can choose life that we may live us and those around us. So how do we speak life? We speak it by faith that comes from a mind that is aligned with God. You know, when we talk about declarations and, and speaking things forth, sometimes you can say, well, you know what, that's, uh, that's the name it, claim it, prosperity gospel, that's a dangerous route to go down. And there's an element where, taken to an extreme, you can go down that road of, well, this is what I want, so I'm going to proclaim it, and therefore it'll happen. Right? Now our words do impact outcomes. They do impact our lives. But a, a mind that is aligned with God and set on His purposes and speaking in accordance with His will, that's where the power really flows. And that's what we're looking for when we speak about making declarations and calling things forth that aren't as though they were. Now, one of the key things here is the right alignment with God. And when we look at our, our portion this week, we see right away the enemy's first attack to thwart God's plan and destroy God's creation is to create misalignment with God's Word. So if we looked in Genesis 3, verses 1 through 12, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? 
And the woman said to the certain, to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. Okay, so we can pause right there. And what did the serpent do? He first twisted by saying, didn't, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Well, that's a twisting of the scripture because God said you may eat of any tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, even, even there, okay, so that's one twisting. The second twisting actually comes from Eve's, Eve's mouth where she says, no, you know, she says we may eat of the fruit of, or, uh, she said, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. The only problem is, if you look back, the tree that is specifically said to be in the midst of the garden is the tree of life. And it would only be by implication that you might say that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was in the midst of the garden. And I'll go ahead and jump over there uh, just to, to point this out. So, so what he says here, this is in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. He said, of every tree in the garden, you may eat freely eat, but the tree of the... No, I'm sorry, that's not what it is. Okay, I'm sorry, I need to back up. Verse 9, Genesis 2, 9. The Lord God caused us brought from the ground every tree that was pleasing to the sight and good for food. Also the tree of life in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and bad. So that the scripture doesn't actually say that the tree of good and evil was in the middle of the garden. That would have to be inferred or even I've heard some say that it wasn't that it was in the middle of the garden. The tree that was in the middle, according to what God said, was the tree of life. But once Adam and Eve took their focus off of what God was focused on and began to fixate on this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that to them that became the tree in the center of the garden because it became the central focus. It was not supposed to be the central focus, but it had become such. So now we have confusion that is, that is coming into play both from the words of the serpent and from what Eve is saying, even saying that she's not even allowed to touch it. God didn't say she couldn't touch it. He said you shouldn't eat. You will not eat of it. So there's multiple aspects of confusion that are coming into play. And then the serpent said to the woman, you, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called, the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman 
whom you gave to be with me. She gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. So they had moved out of a place of alignment with God and had now sinned and fallen and come to a place of making decisions for themselves rather than listening to the Word of God to direct their decisions. And of course, it wasn't long until their offspring, Cain, took the same approach. He didn't have a mindset that was aligned with God. And that brought forth the death of his brother. And further curses brought upon Cain. Now, within this, there's a way back from that place of misalignment. Okay? And the way back from the place of misalignment is trust in God. Now, Adam and Eve, they sewed loincloths together so they could, they could try to cover over their nakedness. But we didn't, we didn't read it, but at the end of this uh, passage, the Lord made coverings for them. The Lord began to provide for them. And though they were kicked out of the garden, there was still a path of hope that God laid before them, promising that he would crush the serpent with the offspring of Adam and Eve. And so even from that place that hope does arise, and that's where we have to come to a place when we find ourselves in those places to go toward repentance and align ourselves with God's word and then beginning to speak forth his truth over our life and our circumstances. And the speaking of truth over our lives, it is creative. Right? We know that God created the heavens and the earth by speaking it into existence. That's what we see in Genesis 1. God calls creation into existence. He calls us forth into existence. He calls things in us that He's placed within us into existence. Right? And then He lets us, He gives us vision for what we're then to call forth in our lives. But it all starts, he gives us the example. In Genesis 1, verse 1, I'll go to verse 1. In the beginning of God's creating the heavens and the earth, when the earth was astonishingly empty, with darkness upon the surface of the deep, and the divine presence hovered upon the surface of the waters, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Here he was calling forth things that weren't as though they were, and they were, right? They came into being. God would speak, and then he would create. And we see this pattern played out multiple times in these first six days. Like, for example, God said, Let the waters teem with teeming living creatures and fowl that fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. And God created the great sea giants and everything that creeps. There's that pattern of calling it forth and then creation. Calling it forth and then doing. But he was bringing things into existence by the power of his words. Now in Genesis 1, 9-13, God said, 
Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. All right, so I read that one specifically because when we get through the first seven days and we begin reading in Genesis 2, we see a little different accounting of this aspect of creation. Genesis 2, verses 4 through 10. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the heaven, the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the land. A mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. And then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. So in Genesis 1... God says that vegetation sprung forth on the third day. Man was created on the sixth day. And now here in Genesis 2, the scripture says that the trees of the field and the herb of the field had not yet sprouted because God had not sent rain upon the earth and there was no man to work it. And then he tells the story of creating man, which happened on the sixth day. And then he plants a garden and causes the trees and herbs to spring forth. So which one is it? Did the vegetation come forth and then man? Or did man come forth and then the vegetation? And the sages note this, this contradiction. And, and their explanation of it is that the herbs began to grow on the third day as they were commanded, but they stopped before they broke through the earth. So they germinated but had yet not, not yet come above the ground. And it remained for Adam to pray for them, whereupon rain fell and the growth was brought forth. And this goes to teach that God longs for the prayers of the righteous. Now, the interesting, interesting thing here, I mean, there's many interesting things in that context, but what the sages recognize is that it was at what was required was both Adam and rain for this vegetation to come forward. Because that's what the scripture said here as we read in it. It says that the it had not yet sprouted for God had not sent rain upon the earth and there was no man to work the soil. So there were two criteria required for the sprouting forth above the surface of the ground, both rain and man. So now God creates man, but he's not yet sent the rain. And so it remains for Adam to pray 
that God would send the rain, that which is required, to bring it forth. Now, think about this, too. In Genesis 1.29, which we haven't read yet, okay, we skipped over it as we were going through. After God creates man, he says, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. Now imagine a timeline, okay? So God tells the vegetation to come forth. It begins to germinate, but it's not yet sprouted. And then God brings forth man, and he has man, and he says, Look, all that I've, I've given you, every plant yielding seed on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. And Adam looks around. It's like, well, I don't see much. I don't know what it is that you've given me, right? There must be something here that I don't understand. Lord, help me to understand. Help me to understand what is my part in causing what you promised to come forth into being. And then with the revelation of the need for rain, Adam cries out to God to send the rain. And God sends the rain, right? Because that's praying the potential into existence. Praying the potential into existence. Now, a commentary I read said that this is a basic article of faith. God provides what man needs, but it's up to man to pray and otherwise carry out his spiritual responsibilities. Consider Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. Actually, let's, no, not, not Leah. Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel. They were incapable of bearing children. They could not bear children, but their husbands prayed, and God opened the womb. Right? God gave the opportunity for man to pray so that God could bring forth the miracle. Even rain's a miracle. We talked about that the other day. After it hadn't rained for so long, even rain's a miracle, the way that it comes forth. It's, it's God's provision for us. So the earth is said to have been seeded with potential on the third day. And man called it forth. So if we were to take that principle and apply it to our lives and the world even as it is today, our lives are seeded with potential. Now, not all those seeds have come forth yet because all the things needed for those to flourish haven't yet necessarily come into alignment, haven't necessarily come into existence. But the seed of potential is there, and in God's timing, He is going to bring it forth. But He's going to call us to partner with Him in praying and agreeing with Him so that it will come forward. Now, if you've been around long, you know that I like movie quotes. <laughs> This is just for you, Chelsea. Well, it's not really, but I'll say that. <laughs> so, facing the giants. So, it's one I've, I've quoted many times. But there's a part in this movie when, when a, a man who is an intercessor over this school and the children comes to the coach, the coach who's lost heart, who doesn't know what's going on, can't see what God's doing. This man comes to him, and in... in in giving him a word, he says, I heard a story about two farmers who desperately needed rain, and both of them prayed for rain, but only one of them went out and prepared his fields to receive it. Which one do you think trusted God to send the rain? 
And the coach says, well, the one who prepared his fields for it. And the man says, which one are you? God will send the rain when he's ready. You need to prepare your field to receive it. Right? Because the field is seeded. Now, are we preparing the field and are we praying for the rain? God's the one who holds all of the provision. And he'll send the rain when he's ready. But we get ready so that we can receive it. You know, there's uh, talking about prayer. Sometimes we, we don't pray for things that we should be praying for. Sometimes because we don't think that we need to pray about it. Okay, so there was an example of this last week. Last Saturday night, uh, we were gathered together at Lake Houston Wilderness Park, and I'm, I'm in the kitchen area, and I'm talking with, with Kent. And in the middle of our conversation, I'm like, oh my goodness, my ring's not on, okay? I was shocked because my, I didn't have my wedding ring on, and I don't ever take my wedding ring off. I mean, very limited times uh, like that I would ever take it off. My, my Aggie ring, I'll take that off frequently. Okay, so if that had not been there, I'd be like, okay, I left it in the tent. Well, this wasn't on. I'm like, shocked. And I'm like, well, I must have left it in the tent. Uh, and so I was tempted to go look. And anyway, Kent, Kent just prayed right there. He just started praying for God to cause the ring to be found. And, and in my mind, I was like, well, Oh, I hadn't thought to pray for that. Don't think we really need to pray for that because it's just in my tent, I'm sure. I'm going to go back and get it. No big deal. You know, that's kind of a foolish thought. I know you've had them too, so okay. <laughs> but it's, it's a foolish thought. It's like, yeah, why not pray? Because this matters, right? And so I'm like, okay, no, it, I'll go back to the tent. I'll find it later. So we go and we sit down. I'm, he's at one table. I'm at a different table with my family. And then the Sahats come up and we're eating dinner. And just as we're eating dinner, Omid, Omid says, hey, Chris, do you know whose this is? And he holds my ring over. <laughs> He's holding my ring. And I look at him like, well, that's mine. Because that's the first response, right? You see someone says, whose this is? Like, mine? Mine? No, kidding. That's not really the first response. But I'm like, wow, that's mine. And I really had to appreciate Omid's integrity because he probably could have gotten 20 bucks for this on eBay. Right. But instead of going first to sell it, he asked, do I know whose it might be? But I'm like, that's my ring. I'm like, how did you find this? He said, it was in front of my door, in front of the door of my tent, laying on the ground. I'm like, what? I hadn't even been around his tent all day. So how's my ring sitting in front of the door of his tent? Cause he, he found it. But the thing is, so I lean back, well anyway, the, the long story short is that his son found the ring in the shower at the park there and he carried it back into the camp and apparently dropped it at the door of the tent and Omid saw it, picked it up, brought it and hands it to me that evening. I think we needed the prayer for the ring to be found. <laughs> but the thing is, at the time we made that prayer, 
The ring had already been found. It was already in Omid's pocket. Fascinating, right? How God moves and works. Even before a thing is, has come about, He's working on our behalf to put things in place to give us what we, what we need. And there's another story of faith that I've, I've shared probably multiple times that is so worth sharing in this instance too. It's this story of George Mueller. If you know the story of George Mueller, he was a incredible man of faith who started up um, orphanages in the UK. And he saw the plight of the orphans and he asked God to help, help him find a way to help all of these children. In the day that he was seeing these orphans in need, there were orphanages, but they were only for people who had large inheritances that could pay for the orphans to have a place to stay. Those who were poor had no hope. Their only hope was that they ended up in the workhouses. All right? And so George had an idea he was going to start an orphanage, but his way of tackling it, his business savvy, was he was going to take no collections, ask for no money, and require no payment from the children to be part of the orphanage, because that's how normal business models work. <laughs> but he says, no, I'm going to rely on God to supply all the needs of the orphans. So he shared this idea and immediately a woman volunteered to cook, clean, and to mend socks for free. And the next day after he first told of his plan that he was going to launch this orphanage, he'd, he had not spoken of it to anybody until one evening at the church. The next day, he receives a letter from a town 100 miles away. And in the letter, a couple wrote, We offer ourselves to the service of the intended orphanage, if you think us qualified for it. Also, we would give up all the furniture and everything which the Lord has given us for its use. And we would do this without receiving any salary whatsoever, believing that if it will be the will of God to employ us, He will supply all our needs. You know, at the time of this story, there was no internet, there was no email, the word that he spoke in that church building could not have traveled a hundred miles and resulted in someone posting a letter and having it travel a hundred miles to be delivered to him that day. God put it in the heart of these people that he, was, that he had seeded potential for this orphanage and that they were to sow into it. And so in faith, they sent a letter to George Miller saying, we're giving everything for the support of it so that we can do God's will. Incredible. It was incredible faith of George Mueller to have this dream and to say God's going to do it. It was incredible faith of the woman to offer her service. Incredible faith of these people to send the letter and God brought it together. God first spoke it into George Mueller's heart, right? 
He spoke it into his heart and George spoke it to the people. And things begin to turn. The wheels begin to turn. And so people began delivering items that were needed for the, for the building of the orphanage. And money began pouring in. And only seven weeks after making the announcement, the orphanage opened. It's incredible. Seven weeks, the orphanage opens up. So then they go up on the first day and they're ready to start taking enrollment. And no children came. No children came. Talk about a letdown, right? Here you've worked for seven weeks and you've seen God's miraculous provision so that the needs of these children can be met. And in the day of the, the day of the opening, the grand opening, no children come. And so that night, George and his wife are talking about it. And his wife says, we never did pray for children. Don't you see? We prayed for coal and food and paint and workers, but we never thought to pray for the children. And so they prayed. <laughs> and the children came. And in his lifetime, over 10,000 orphans received assistance in his orphanages. They caught the vision that was aligned with God's heart to bring these orphans out of darkness into light. And through their prayer, God helped over 10,000 orphans. And that's the thing. We may not be able to look and see what all is going to sprout forth from the potential that's seeded in our lives or from what this open door that's before us is going to bring. But it's not what our eyes see that will determine the outcome. It's what our heart can see and what we can hear from the Lord and speak forth into existence and move to create. You know, when you think about even in God's creating, in Genesis 1, Just look at, look at the creation. In the beginning of God's creating the heavens and the earth, when the earth was astonishingly empty, with darkness upon the surface of the deep, and the divine presence hovered upon the surface of the water, God said, let there be light. The earth was astonishingly empty, with darkness upon the surface of the deep. That didn't look very good. What if God had said, well, this world's not good. Let me go see if I can find another one. He didn't do that. He said, I know the potential of what my word will bring forth. I know the potential of what I will create. And all these things have come into existence through him by the power of his word. Your life has come into existence through his creation and the power of his word. You know, when we read earlier about the rain had not fallen and there was no man to work the soil, the next verse that, that was in here says, A mist ascended from the earth and watered the whole surface of the soil. And God formed the man of dust from the ground 
and blew into his nostrils the soul of life, and man became a living being. You know, oftentimes that mist ascending from the earth and watered the whole surface of the earth, it's presented as, well, that's how the vegetation grew. It didn't need rain. It's the mist gave it everything. But this mist ascending from the earth, watering the surface of the soil, created a condition of the dust becoming clay, such that God would take and fashion that into man. And then once he had taken this, which was born of water, he breathed spirit into it. There's the water in the spirit. The water in the spirit coming in and making man into a living being. Man being something that is created both of, of the heavenly and of the earthly. Right? Created from the dust, but having the very breath of God breathed into him that he becomes a living being. And even within that, having the Spirit of God impart life to us puts us in a place of not just being earthly, but being spiritual as well. We talked about how there's a battle in the heavens and in the earth. We operate in both of those spheres. We pray regarding the things on the earth and we pray with regard to things in the heavens as well so that we would see God's victories in both. Romans 4.17 says, As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, he who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. That's speaking some about Abraham, who had no offspring. But God said, I'm going to make your offspring like the stars of the heaven. I'm going to open Sarah's womb, and she's going to bring forth a child, right? The promised seed. But God gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. The life to the dead has so many facets because Sure, we can look at life and everlasting life, and we can say that all man will die, but we will live through the power of God. He will cause that which dies to live through the resurrection. But there's also things, other things that are dead that God causes to live. As we spoke of the womb being opened, right? That was a dead womb, but God imparted life to that womb. There are things in your life that you think are dead because they look dead. But that's not the end of the story. There's the opportunity to pray. There's the opportunity to say, God, what do you see? My eyes fail. My eyes fail. I can't see. Lord, open my eyes that I may see. For the people perish because they like vision. They like prophetic vision. But God will impart that to those who ask, who seek his wisdom. And he goes before us and prepares the way, just as he did for George Mueller, just as he did for me a week ago with the ring, just as even he did for Zacchaeus. Right? You remember the story where Yeshua is walking through and Zacchaeus wants to get a glimpse of him? 
and he goes and he climbs the tree so that he can get, get a view because he's untouchable in society. He's perhaps also short, I believe that's the case. But anyway, whatever it is, he's climbing a tree so he can get a glimpse, a glimpse that he otherwise wouldn't have if God hadn't caused that, caused that tree to grow. Now, that may, may sound kind of funny, right? But I saw a meme. This is a meme. It was good. It was a great meme. Sometimes memes are good. And it said, long before Zacchaeus couldn't see Yeshua, the tree was already planted to meet his need. I love it. <laughs> I love it, right? The tree was already planted to meet the need. Even from the beginning, right? We've talked about Adam and Eve and how they fell. And they tried to sew together claws to cover themselves. It was insufficient, right? And so then God gave them garments to clothe them. And God said, I will give you victory over the serpent through the promised seed. Even from the beginning, God was going to create to establish all that was needed for the redemption. Yeshua was slain before the foundation of the world is what the scripture says. All things were created through him because he was in the beginning with God. So even before man fell, God knew the path of redemption and had already laid it forward. And that's one of the things, too, that God is looking to do in this time. You know, we're talking about open doors, and we're talking about things being seated with potential. One of the things that is a potential is for chains being broken in your life. It's freedom that he's looking to bring in each of our lives. We can have things that we're praying for that may look like lofty and great callings, but one of the greatest is God looking to set us free from that which hinders us and keeps us from walking in the fullness of his spirit and the fullness of his purposes. So when we're talking about open doors that he's putting before us, part of the open door requires a setting free, a breaking of chains. Have you ever heard of the illustration where there's someone who's sitting in prison and they're bound with chains and the door is locked? And God brings salvation to them and He breaks their chains and He opens the door of the jail cell. But they just sit there. And they say, wow, praise God, my chains are free and the door is open. And that's good. But there's even better as we go through the door and as we move out of the place of where we've been captive into the place of the fullness of God's presence and His joy. So He's looking for us to walk through the doors that He's opened. To pray for the doors that are shut but are ours to be made ready to be opened, for our hearts to be prepared to go through it and not to hide from what he's doing, but to allow him to move and to shape us, to form us and fashion us 
into what we need to be for those purposes. In this week's Haftarah in, in Isaiah 42, I felt like these passages resonate with what we're talking about today and what we see in the world. Isaiah 42, starting in verse 5, Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. Praise God, He gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, who sit in darkness. Yes, this is the thing. This is the freedom that he's longing to bring to his people. Even the people who know the name of Yeshua, who, but who don't walk in the fullness of the freedom that he's given, because our minds have not aligned with the truth of the complete restoration that we have in Yeshua, our Messiah. Now, he says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. He now speaks forth new things. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. He tells us of them before they come forward because of the power of His Word to create. Sing to the Lord a new song, His praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants, let the desert and its cities be, lift up their voices, the villages that Kedar inhabits. Let the, let the inhabitants of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare His praise in the coastlands. The Lord goes out like a mighty man, like a man of war. He stirs up His zeal. He cries out. He shouts aloud. He shows Himself mighty against His foes. For a long time I have held my peace. I have kept still and restrained myself. Now I will cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp and pant. I will lay waste mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation. I will turn the rivers into islands and dry up the pools. And I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know. In paths that they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. If you feel like you've been blind and don't know the path, God will open eyes and guide. He will turn darkness before you into light. Our call is to walk with Him, to believe, to trust. And that trust is an active trust. It's an active walking out in accordance with His Word and promises. And so with this, we have confidence to go forward and to believe even beyond what our eyes can see. Amen. Does anybody have anything that you want to share? So first there is the seeking of the will of God before we can know what to do. But even in the seeking God, there needs to be a patience I mean, you could seek for 
more than a year and you can't give up. And then even in the seeking, sometimes you wonder what is it that I need to do, you know, other than just seeking, you know, praying, reading scripture, how, how else, what, what else am I supposed to do in the meantime? But there are the things, the way that God asks us to live that we must walk in to show that we trust what we do know already. You know, what we already know of God, we must show that we trust. And so we walk in obedience to what we already know while we seek. And so our actions show the desires of our heart. And, and in that, he will reveal his will because there needs to be an action to back the desire or else it's just a lie. But in the seeking of his will, in the action that shows it, then he reveals it. And then there needs to be that trust for the obedience. And Abraham has always been the example of, I mean, other than the master, of course, but um, the example of faithfulness, right? The father of the faith, he has that title. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Yitzhak, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Yitzhak shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Right? He was willing to sacrifice his son because God had already spoken and said his descendants would come through this child. And Yitzhak had no children yet. So he's using the word of God with the logic. If he wants me to sacrifice my son, and he has promised, he has spoken descendants through this son, logically speaking, he has to bring him back from the dead. Amen. Right? So, but that level of trust, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Amen. As you're creating the image of stepping out in trust and into sort of like an unknown, um, because as we exist just carnally and like in sin and stuff, we sort of, uh, we are blind to what that greater truth and promise and, and all of that beauty to behold is, uh, it's like blinding light. It's like a thing you can't even believe it's real, but of course it is. And I'm just kind of reminded of like the, the children of Israel at the time of Passover. Put the blood on the doorpost, you wait, you hear all the horrible sounds, and now it's time to leave. And you've been here for so long, and you're so comfortable. You know how to walk home, all that stuff. And now it's time to go. But that's okay, because the real home and the real community and the real identity and all that stuff is actually about to happen. And you've been like asleep. So that's what's sort of been brought to me, is that we're waking up this new year, sort of like new me. But truly the, the real me, the real us. The, the the one we've been created to be. So, um, I was going to say, in the patience and the waiting of uh, waiting for the rain, my mom would always tell me, um, "We build the kingdom while we wait." So you can build it through prayer. We build it through serving each other, mm -hmm. serving our communities. So in that patience and that waiting, we're still be we're still busy and we're still readying our hands for whatever He's preparing us to do. Um, and then there was something you had said a few years ago that reminded me 
when you were, this is kind of like the ring story, but it's a little bit different. You said you had been, um, you, you had lost something and you were looking for it everywhere. You kept looking for it. You just could not find it. It was not in this room, but you knew it was there. And then you prayed like, Lord, please open my eyes. I know it's here. And then as soon as you said it, it was right in front of you, like directly in front of your eyes, exactly where you had been staring the entire time. Yes. Um, and I, I always remember that story because I'm like, as someone who loses her phone a lot and is always late, I'm like, Lord, <laughs> where's my phone? <laughs> but yeah. I don't think there's anything too small to pray for. And I have to constantly remember that. I always forget. So just a good reminder. There's nothing too small. God cares about it all. Amen. Yeah, Chris, uh, the scriptures, excuse me, the scriptures you were reading today, they're uh, like faith building scriptures. And we all talk about our faith, building our faith. And that's what it boils down to is when you read scripture, are we going to be strong enough and know that we know that we know God is going to come through with what he says in his word? <clears throat> Some people look at it, they have a hard time, and they're battling with this. But if we just believe on what he tells us there, like what uh, Richard was explaining also, with the scripture we're reading, I was just taking that all in the heart and talking more with God and believing that he will come through with what he says and anything that we ask. We wanted it yesterday, but it's going to be on his timing when he's going to answer our prayers. So that, that's, that's the thing that people have to have patience, but have the faith to know that God will come through always when you ask. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we bless you and we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you are faithful and true. Thank you, Lord, that you hold us in the palm of your hand and that you have laid before us an open door. Lord, that you have seeded potential in our lives. I ask, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see and bring us into alignment with your purposes, that we could have faith to speak forth what you're doing and to go forward. Lord, I ask for a building up of each person here, Lord, and each person that's watching online, Lord, that you would uh, breathe the breath of life into us, Lord that you would rejuvenate us, renew us, strengthen us by your spirit. Lord, we bless you and we thank you in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.